You know, when we talk about love, though, like it's a powerful word, isn't it? Like when we say, you know, I love you, or you hear those kinds of things, it's powerful. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a word that I, as a pastor, I try to describe. I, I teach on a lot. I mean, Daniel and I, we stand up here almost every Sunday, and we often are talking about God's love, and we're trying to communicate to you uh, the truths of it. When we talk about God's sacrifice, you know, and his mercy and kindness and all of these, these attributes that I'll talk about God's love. But in the end, it's not something that we just, you know, hear or we read or we, you know, think of. It's something that we want you to experience, right? Isn't that what you want? You don't want to just read about love or know about it. You want to experience it. And the love that we have, in, that God shares, shows us, is something to be experienced. And so for me as a pastor, I, I, that's, my, that's what I try to do. Like, how do I not only teach it so that you understand it, but how do we create a culture, an environment for you to experience it? There's a, a few roadblocks that can happen, but one of them is, is our own heart. It's the own heart. Right, Because when we talk about love and we say that God loves you, you put that through your own love filter, so to speak. I mean, we all have it, right? The, the love filter we have is, is you take all those experiences that you've had that have to do with love your whole life, and you kind of have this little grid, a filter that you put in there. So uh, growing up, your family, you know, where you first experienced love, you know, go through your first boyfriend and girlfriend and first kisses and all of those kinds of things. That's all part of it, right? Maybe marriage, your spouse and family. But, but there's also, in this filter, there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, right? We have had experiences where we've loved somebody or somebody's loved us, but it hasn't uh, hasn't worked out. You know, they, they loved you. They said they'd be there forever, but they went away. Uh, maybe they intentionally hurt you, or maybe it was unintentional. It was just uh, they moved away, or maybe they died. And that, that love that we have, that we feel for them, that we miss them, and it hurts. And so when we talk about love, it's not just all the good feelings. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of trust that goes into that. When we say God loves you, we have to then filter that through. Is, this, uh, is it worth it? You know, do I really trust this God who says that he's going to be here forever? Maybe he'll leave. Maybe he'll change his mind. Or uh, maybe it's just really in, internal like this, uh, uh, these feelings of doubt that say, no, he, he can't love me, right? I'm not worthy. You know, he can't love somebody like me. Like, I've done so many different things. There's so much shame and hurt. But you put all these things together, and it's complicated. But when we read books like this, 1 John, when we read chapters like 1 John chapter 4, we can't get away of this feeling of love. Do you know in this chapter, uh, it says love 25 times. 25 times between verses 12 and 21. That's 14 verses uh, John has used this word many times throughout this book. It's important that we understand, where is John going with this? And why is this important? I mean, yeah, we're Christians. Yeah, we should love. But there's something so fundamental here. That as we read this book, that it tells us 
that yet God is love. And we are in God. And their love is fundamental to who we are. And so we as Christians, we do need to understand this, but we also we have to experience, we have to let it penetrate deep into our hearts. And that should penetrate into our community. You heard Albert read the scripture in that last part that says it is impossible. We cannot love God and yet hate our brothers and sisters. Or to say it this way, we cannot love God and be apathetic about our brothers and sisters. We, and we are loving God. We are going to love each other. That love is going to be the experience that we feel here in the church. So here we are in our study called Remain. We're studying the, the letters of John, and we're in First uh, John chapter 4. Last week, we started verses 1 to 12, and it kind of talked about, like, we don't just love just with words, but we're going to love with deeds as well. The world is going to experience God's love when we show that love to them. And so there's some wonderful verses in there that talk about just this love that it comes from Jesus, that God loved us first, and that we, uh, that not that we love God, but that he sent his son to be a sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And he says, now you go and love one another. So there's the command. Today, we're going to kind of finish. This is kind of part two of that sermon. That he, he says, he gives us an exhortation to go love, but now he kind of elaborates on it. He tells us why we are to do that. Why should we love? Why should we care about loving people in the church? They know we love them. Why do we care about the people in the community? Why do you care about the neighbors or your coworkers? Does it really matter that much? Well, John would say it absolutely does. This is shows our faith by how we love one another. And so that's what we'll be looking at today. So this will be kind of the why. Why do we love? If it's true God is loving and he loves us, but why do we need to love others? So that's going to be kind of what I'm going to be trying to communicate today is we not only understand and talk about, but we experience the love of God. And so as we work through this, I, I know you're going to hear some things that you've heard before. Oh, God loves you. And I, 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 what I'm really hoping that you do is you really just sit with it. Don't just pass it by and don't just start thinking about the football games later on today. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, sit with this. Because in this passage, there are some verses that are just uh, mind-blowing. They're amazing. If you really sit and you understand how deep this love, how significant this love of God is. So why do we love the people around us? First... Three points, but the first one is we love because God dwells in us. All right, now, again, you're going to be like, okay, okay, good, good, good. God dwells in us. Yeah, he lives in us. But we need you to sit with this. Like, why is that significant? Why is this, when, when John is trying to communicate, God is love and he loves you so much that he goes to this and he says, because God dwells in you. Like, so what? So what? Why is that important? Why does that show love? Right? But, but think about this, like, it, John says, God is love, right? And the, the Spirit is God, and the Spirit lives in us, and therefore, love dwells within us. It is something that is internal to who we are. And this is what's different from how we love and how the world loves, okay? The love that we have, 
It's internal. It comes from deep within us because God is in, in us. But the world, that's not their experience. They can love, right? I mean, that's clear. We, we can look at people that are not Christians, right, that, that maybe you work with or you've known, you know, from school over the years that are just super, like, loving people, super genuine. It's not that the world can't love. They can. But their love is going to be external, Right? Just, what they pick up from others and how they observe and what they read and what they see. And that's good and it's, it's powerful. But Christian, to the one who has put your faith in Jesus, yours is different. Your love is eternal. It's within you. Look at verse 13. 1 John 4, 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he lives in us. That he's given us his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Like, that's what we know, right? But if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Right, if you are in Christ, you have confessed already, you know Jesus Christ, you know what he has done for you on the cross. But now you have God living within you. You are in the Spirit. The Spirit is in you. And he says, now, because of all of that, now you know, rely on the love that God has for us. I, I rely on many things, and you rely on many things. Every morning, you rely on that coffee to, like, kick in and get you going. You rely on your car to start. You rely on, uh, you know, your keys to work, you know, open the building or whatever. Like, there's so many things that we rely on. He says, here, you, you as a follower of Jesus, like, oh, that's good. But what I need you to, to know and to rely on is the love that God has for us. That's what motivates us. Right? You have the Spirit living within you. He's given it to us. So what's the significance? Like, why is that important? Yeah, yeah, so I have the Spirit living within me. Yeah, that, that's good. Like, what? But let's just, I'm not going to go deep into it, but what does the Spirit do? Why is that a part of God's love for us? Well, first thing, it's how we come to Christ. Right? The Spirit renews and, re, and regenerates our lives. Right, we in First John, right? I mean, sorry, in Titus chapter three, verse five, it says, "He saved us not because of righteous things we've done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit." Right, the Holy Spirit is one who has come into our lives, who's who's made it ready to receive God, and so He starts that. That's that's how we know God, right there, through the Holy Spirit. Right, what else does the Holy Spirit do? He says that he's, the, he's a deposit that guarantees our place in the kingdom of God. A deposit that guarantees that we have a spot in heaven. In Ephesians 1.13, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When you believe... You were given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was put on you. It's a seal saying that your spot in God's kingdom is guaranteed. That you belong to God. He has claimed you. The creator, the one who has loved you, he has claimed you as his own. 
We see this in, uh, in a great movie called Toy Story. Any Toy Story fans out there? I mean, this will go way back, right, to the beginning. Remember, it's a story of Andy who has these toys. These toys come to life, right, and we, we're entertained by them. But there's a new toy that enters in and kind of breaks up everything. Remember, that's Buzz. Buzz Lightyear comes in. But there's one scene where, where uh, Buzz comes in, and I, I can't remember the quote exactly, but he's basically he's saying, I have been accepted into your community. You guys have, uh, I am now one of you. I'm not, no longer an outsider. I, I belong to you. And he picks up his boot, and what's on the bottom? Andy. Andy has written his name on the bottom of a boot. He is now a part of their community. And remember the story, like Woody, he looks at his, and it's uh, kind of uh, scraped off a little bit, but it's still there. And it's this, it's this beautiful story, as the story goes on, that every now and then it, it comes back to this, that they look at their shoe and they say, who do I belong to? When life gets overwhelming, when life gets crazy, they look under their, at their, the bottom of their, their foot and they say, I belong to Andy. But there's that one, another great scene where, remember, Woody gets his arm ripped off. And then the old man kind of comes in and, and starts cleaning uh, him up. And he gets, uh, remember, he gets the little Q-tip, puts it in alcohol and like scrapes his eye and everybody's like, I, I hate that scene. That's like the worst scene. Don't stick it in his eye, right? But he does all the, you know, cleaning up and, and puts a little hair on his head. That's, I appreciate that, you know, I need a little of that. Um, he sews his arm back on, and like, it's a beautiful scene until at the end. you remember what the last thing he does? He picks up his foot, gets some paint, and he wipes away Andy. Wipes it away. And then it's like, it's betrayal. No, he belongs to Andy. He's, he's, he belongs to him. Andy loves him. He's claimed him as his own. He's written his name on him. And in, a, in a, a silly way that kind of describes what God has done to us. He's given us the Holy Spirit saying, you belong to me. When life gets crazy, when you don't feel loved, go look and remember that you belong to me. I'm living in you. I dwell in you. And nothing, nothing can paint over this one. God has loved you. He's put his spirit within you. He's called you. He's put his spirit in you. He sanctifies you, right? He's going to continue to help uh, grow you into Christ, less like the world, more like Christ. He's given gifts to you that you can use for the common good of the church, right? The gifts of the spirit. He speaks words of wisdom, right? It's, it's the spirit that's taking the words of God and applying it to our lives, Right? Whether we're reading, whether we're listening, whether we're meditating on it, it's the Spirit who's saying, this is what God wants you to know and understand how to live. He fills us with joy and hope and strength and helps you communicate. Pray to the Father. I love this verse in Romans 8. It says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes through wordless groans. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I love that. The, the Spirit is there sitting, and, and I can't find the words when all I can do is groan, which I find myself doing a lot lately. It's the Spirit saying, I got that. I know what that means. I'm going to take this to the Father. I'm going to help communicate this. 
So in short, here's what I'm saying. I have a daughter who's going to college soon. She might stay close. She might go out of state. What do I want her to know? I want her just to, to know the values, to know the love, to know that we're right there with her, even though we're distant. We're there, that she belongs to us. The same thing I want for my daughters, the same things you want for your kids, your kids who have either grown up or moved out or they're young and that'll happen someday. The same thing we want is what God wants and what he's done. He's saying, I love you too much to leave you alone. You don't have to figure this out alone. I'm putting my spirit in you. He's going to guide you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to help you grow. He's going to remind you who you belong to. He's going to help us communicate. He's going to be praying for you and looking out for you. So that's, it, it's significant, right? When we say God loves you, he's put his spirit in you, we're like, oh, that's all right. But when we hear what the spirit does, in the depths of that. It's powerful. It's powerful. See, our love is eternal. It's eternal, but it's, uh, it's internal. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> it is eternal, right? God's love is eternal. But it's, it's internal. It's within us. Right? We don't have to, to show the love uh, of God by putting a, like a, a, a Christian tattoo on, you know, like agape in Greek. That, that, that looks cool, you know. Um, but that's, that's external. That's not how we show God's love. Uh, it's, um, we don't have to just wear Christian clothing, right? Or have a doormat that says, I don't know, like uh, enter, you're entering the home of grace or what. <laughs> you know, it doesn't just have to be a coffee mug. Those, they're all fine, right? But those are, those are external things. We have this internal love of God who has been played. God is love. He's put that love within us. It's, it's who we are. It identifies us. Who we belong to, we belong to the God, the God of love. So why does it motivate us? This is what we know, what we rely on. We rely on God's love for us. So each and every day, like I said, there's so many things you rely on, but do you rely on God's love? When you get up, when you get started in the day, Lord, I need you. I need you to, to be with me. I need you to help me love the people in my life, whether it's my own family or my own friends or my coworkers or whoever, I need you. Talking with him and, and inviting him into our life, giving him that space, saying, go to work in my life. Let the fruit of the Spirit grow. Do what you have to. Make me like Christ. You are here. I rely on you. You're not on your own to become more like Jesus. Right? That, if I were on my own to become like Jesus, I, I would be a mess. But thanks be to God that he knows me better than that, and he knows you better than that. And he says, I'm going to make you more like Christ, but I'm going to do it with my spirit. I'm going to put my spirit, my spirit of love within you. That's what we rely on. So why do we love? Because God is love. He's put his spirit within us, and it's all about teaching us how to know and experience and love God. It comes right, right from him with the spirit within us. But what else? We also, we love because we're confident of our eternal future. Right? We know what's going to happen. We know that at the end of the day, at the end of time, when God returns, that we're going to be accepted. Right? We have that spirit within us. But we know this. It's a fact. 
What about the rest of the world? Do they have that same security knowing, hey, at the end of the day, when the world ends, I'm confident that I'm going to be loved by God. I'm accepted and, and whatever. Um, I don't think that's the case. All right, I've seen it over the years. Y2K, I know the people weren't at peace with that. There was another one. Do you remember this one in, in 2012? It was kind of a, you might not remember it right away, but you might remember once I talk about it, the Mayan calendar. There was this kind of news about the Mayan calendar that in the year 2012, on December 21st, it was the end of the Mayan calendar, that it would end. And at the end of that, it would bring a new era, right? There would be judgment, but there would also be all this transformation. And I remember people talking about that. Like, what if it's true? What if it's, what's going to happen? What's going to happen on December 21st? People are all anxious about it. And we see that. We see that. People go to bed, they put their head in their pillow, and they get anxious about what is to come. What happens next? What happens if I don't wake up in the morning? Is there a God? Is there many gods? Is there a hell? Is there a purgatory? Are there planets? Are they, is it reincarnation? Like, what is it? And there's a certain fear or anxiety. I don't know. I mean, different for everybody. But as followers of God, that is not our fear. That we can put our head on our pillow, on our big pillow at night, and say, Lord, I am confident. I have nothing to be afraid of because I'm with you. And if I'm with you, I'm loved by you. And I know that my future is secure. He says this in verse 17, 17 and 18. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Oh, just stop there. In this world, we're like Jesus. I don't know if there's more of a powerful statement on our identity than that. In this world, we are like Jesus. He says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And what's he saying? There's, there's things that scare me, right? I, I, I'm in Christ, but I, I can still get afraid of some things. The other night, it was like three in the morning, and we heard this like in the bathroom, like this, you know, and, and I knew like, I mean, it woke me up and I got scared, but what it was, was the, uh, it was my, my shampoo bottle, you know, I got near the end and so what, I put it upside down, you know, so it could like be easier to get out, but it fell in the middle of the night, but the first thing I think of like, who's in my bathroom? Who's trying to steal my shampoo? You know, and I'm ready to, like, fight, but I kind of, I didn't get up. I, I just rationally thought, like, man, if, I, if, there's, <laughs> if there's somebody robbing my house and they're taking my shampoo, let them have it, all right? Um, but, like, there's, there's times where we fear, right? So it's not saying, oh, Christians, you should never be afraid of anything. Like, but what he's talking about is the, it's the end of the day, the day of judgment. There's no fear. You don't have to worry about that, you guys. What is a day of judgment? It's that ultimate day, that the end of time. When God comes to judge the world, to judge all who have lived, it's that final judgment day. Uh, it's written throughout the Bible, and it's usually kind of fearsome, kind of afraid. There's fire, and there's judgment, and there's death, right? And Malachi 4 talks about it, and John the Baptist talks about this coming day of wrath. Paul writes it about, about it, and about storing up wrath for yourself on the day of God's wrath. It's his righteous judgment to repay each person according to what they have done. Like, it's a sure thing. It's a real day. Nobody's going to escape. And, and it, it's a day of fear. 
but not for the Christian. Why? Why do we have to not be afraid? That sounds scary, the way that Paul and, and, these, and these authors write about it. Like, I'm scared of that. But why do I not have any fear? It's because what God has done for us is taken away any of that day of judgment. It's not something we have to worry about. Right? He said, if you are in Christ, if you receive Jesus Christ, then what? You are, you have been made like Jesus. Verse 17, in this world we are like Jesus. Do you think that if Jesus was to think of that day of judgment, that he would be anxious and scared and worried? Do you think he's standing like, what if God the Father, what if, what if uh, you know, there's something he finds out about my past? What if he brings it up? Oh, I don't know if I'll make it. Do you think Jesus Christ is anxious on that day? Of course not. Of course not. I mean, he, it's all about him. And we have been made like Jesus. The Spirit is living within us. Is a Spirit like Jesus? Yeah. Right? I mean, God, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is living within us. We're like Jesus. We're more like Jesus than you think. I, I, know, I know we mess up. I know we sin. I know we have our struggles. But let's just take John's word as it is. You have been made like Jesus. And when you reach that day of judgment, God the Father is looking at you and you see Jesus. You, you're going to walk into that before God and just say, I'm with him. The father will look at the son and say, is, is she with you? Yeah, she's with me. All right, then. Last night I went to a, a concert with Daryl. He had an extra ticket, and so he took me. And, uh, you know, we got to that little gate, and I'm like, I don't have, I'm, used, I'm the dad. I'm used to having all the tickets, you know. I'm the one that carries the tickets, but Daryl had it. So I, I'm like, all right, dad, take me in. But, you know, we got to that, that person Daryl went through, and then, then it was my turn, and I'm like, I'm with him. And he's like, go ahead, you know. I mean, it's, it's, I'm with him. I use that same line, and I, I thought about this. Like, I'm with Daryl. Of course, I can go in because he has a ticket. It's been paid for. When we come to that day of judgment, we're not just standing there alone. You've got Christ there. You have the Spirit. It's, I'm with him. There's nothing to fear. Why? Because we're so great and so wonderful and so perfect? No, because that's already been taken care of. The day of judgment has already happened. We came to Christ. We said, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And God says, well, we got to deal with that. How are we going to deal with that? I said, well, can, uh, can I, I'm with Jesus. And he said, okay, it's done. He already took care of that. Judgment's already been paid. You're good to go. There's no fear in that because I'm with Jesus. I think there, part of that fear is that so many of it, when we think about that day of judgment, at least I do, I, do you think of like a courtroom? I think, you know, God is the judge, you know, he's there. And I, I, you know, I haven't been in a courtroom very many times, but I think there's a little, there's just fear in the courtroom. What can happen? And when we think about this day of judgment, it's kind of like there's the judge and, you know, I don't know, the jury and, and prosecutors and like, what are they going to find out? What are they going to say about me? There's plenty of things to say. 
but we know, yeah, I'm with Jesus. Been paid for. You can go free. Sometimes I, I think it's better to think about the Olympics than a courtroom. You know, the Olympics on the medal stand. You know, they, 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 the, the first, second, third place, they come, they take their, plots, their spots on the stand. The game has already been decided. It's already been done. We already know who the winner is, right? There's, all the disqualifications have already happened. The person who's standing on, on the stand in that gold spot, they are the winner. All right, there's no, no judges, you know, like, oh, I think it's a seven. I, that's already been done. Now they get, get the gold uh, medal, or in our case, the golden crown. There's no fear. That's the day of celebration. And so why does this, how does this factor in your love? Is that, is that God has loved you so much he's put Christ in you. So much so that you are, not only do you have love dwelling in you, you have, the, you have God dwelling in you, the Spirit. And so when the, the day of judgment comes, there's no fear. Because you have been loved completely. However, we also know that there's a world of people that don't know that, that don't have that confidence. But they're insecure, they're questioning, they're putting out of their mind. So why do we love? We love for them. We love for them because we want them to have that same confidence. We want them to know that love of God, to experience it. We want them to receive Jesus Christ. We want them to have the spirit living within them so that they can say, I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. That's why we love others. To show them our wonderful, loving Father. Much to say about that. I think, here, I'll say this. I'm going to skip over a couple pages, but this is the one thing. Why is this hard for us? Why is this a, a difficult thing for us to really just truly to be confident? And, and a lot of it, like I said earlier, it's because of this love filter. It's how we've experienced love in the past. And some people, they've experienced some, um, some, some uh, I'll call it bad love right? Might be a parent, might be uh, some other people in their life, but um, they've, they've not loved the right way in that perfect way that God loves, but they've loved in a very human way, a flawed way, uh, withholding love, right? For example, I'll use that example. Uh, maybe you've had uh, parents that said, uh, you know, if you do that, or if you go there, you hang out with them, I'm not going to love you. you know, it's it's that, that cute thing you say as a kid to kind of make them do what you want, but really it's withholding love. You're teaching them, like, if you do this, I'm not going to love you. But if you do what I say, I'll love you. And we see that throughout life. If you get bees, I'm not gonna, you're not gonna, we're not going to love you. You're going to be dishonor to the family. If you don't do, you know, fill in the blank profession, you're going to bring shame to the family. It's that same thing. You're withholding love. It's that manipulative love. And we've experienced, so many of us have experienced that in our family or in relationships and we feel like if that's the case in this world, then that's maybe what God's going to do, that he's going to do that same thing. He's going to withhold his love or he's going to you know, play these little games like I have to do this in order to earn God's favor. And that, you guys, that's, i talked to so many people over the years and that is a thing. It's a major thing. It's one of those major obstacles that keeps us from experiencing the total, the perfect love of God. So it's part of our discipleship. We have to unlearn these things that we've been taught intentionally or unintentionally 
by this world and take the truth of God and understand God's perfect love and live according to that standard. You know, God is eternal. And God is love. His love is eternal. He's not going to pull it away. He's not going to pull it away when you do whatever fill-in-the-blank sin that you have. He's going to love you regardless. That's something this world doesn't give. We're, we're on contracts. But God is not. Okay? So, that powerful truth that we, we can love because we don't have to fear the future. We're secure in who we are. We're secure in our love. Third and last one, we love because he first loved us. All right? He first loved us. It's different than the world. All right? The world, like I said, is on contracts. Uh, I love you. You love me. And we'll be okay. All right? It's, it's very contractual. God's love is not that way. He just said, I'm going to love you, and that's the end of the story. Look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he who has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Verse 19, so straightforward, so powerful. We love because he first loved us. Like, that's, that's a beautiful truth, and that's, that's a motivation. That's what motivates us as a church. That's behind our heart on what we do. Okay? From here out, like, as we talk about, you know, different events that we're doing and different, you know, our announcements and all that and service opportunities, it's here. It's because of this verse, verse 19. Why do we do anything? Because he loved us. He first loved us. So whether we're playing here in the band or doing some AV or greeting people or teaching Sunday school or leading a small group or securing the parking lot, what's the motivation? God's love. Because he loved you. Because he loved you, don't hate your brother or sister. Don't hate those people, but love them. Care for them. Serve them. So powerful that he loved us that we get to love other people. Right? We get to love those people around us. Who, who is he talking about? This is what we, we want to know. Like, okay, before I accept that, like, is he talking about just people in the church? Is that just our church? Is it all churches? Is it, is it Christians? Is it non-Christians? All of that. Right? Yes, love one another. Right? Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. We have all those things from Jesus, from the, the, the scriptures. The important thing here, I think, for us to understand is what differentiates us, again, from the world, right? The world can do this. They can love somebody, and they can hate somebody at the same time. God, I'm going to love these people in my life, but these people I hate. I'm not getting close to them. They hurt me. I don't like them. They annoy me. Whatever. It might be like, uh, you know, I love my family, but not this family member. Or, you know, I love these people, but not that boss, you know, or whatever. But that's the way the world can, can operate. You are not of the world. You don't operate that way. In the church, we don't say, well, I love these people, but I hate that person. You just heard what he said. He said, if you do that, if you say, I love God, but I hate my brother and sister, you don't know God. Hey, guys, in the church, we don't love that way. 
That's the world. We're different. We're going to love God, and we're going to love others. It's a challenge. It's not easy. But we're going to work towards that. We're going to take that word hate. That's a, a, a world uh, word. We're not going to use that. Yes, there are people that are difficult, people that are challenging. I get it. But we're going to love them. Cause why? Because God has loved you first. You know, this is something that it's, it's easy to, to talk about. It's easy to sing songs about loving other people. It's hard to do. You know, it's hard to do. We can say that we love, but it's hard to practice. You know, what about, you know, uh, the fact that we're so prone uh, from time to time to be critical of other fellow Christians? Whether in our small group or in our church, another church, we can be so critical. What about the fact that we're so ready to, to jump to negative conclusions about those who love Jesus? I mean, they're our brothers and sisters, and we kind of, we already paint them in negative light. What about the fact that we're so slow to carry each other's burdens? We see that person struggling. We know they need help, but we're so slow to do it, only if it fits our time and our, we're eager to do it. What about the fact that we're so unwilling to walk in other people's shoes? What about the fact that we're so easy to see faults in others and point them out, but we get upset when somebody says something about us? And why is there this gap between our profession of faith, I love God, but I, how I practice it? I'm going to only love these people, but not them. That's not the way. John is talking about perfect love. That God's love is perfect, and he's put that perfect love in us. Ambassador Church, we need to be a church that strives for that. Will we get there? Will we be perfect in our love? No. All right? We're not going to be. But will we strive for that? Will we work with the Holy Spirit? Try? To say, I know this is a challenging person, but Lord, would you help me love them? Let me put aside my stuff so that I can accurately show them the love of Christ. Some might say, what does it matter? I mean, it's, just a, it's a little small book, First John, just a few chapters, and the end of the Bible, does it really matter? Yeah, it matters. Because why are we here? We're here to introduce the world to Christ. We're here to, to love him and honor him, to make his name known, to make his name great, to introduce them to the others so that they would have confidence in the day of judgment that they are in Christ. But if we live imperfectly, we withhold, we manipulate. If we love some but hate others, that message isn't going to come across, guys. It's not going to come across. Your neighbors are smart. They hear you. They know how you talk about people. And they'll read. And they're going to say, is this somebody who I, I want to become like? Do I really want to believe in that Christ if this is what I see? We, why do we love? Because God lives within us. That he's taken away the fear of judgment. He's shown us great love. He loved us first. Let us go and love one another.